Welcome to The Golden Shadow, the podcast about psychology, philosophy, myth, mysticism, and mystery. My name is Aaron Rogerson. And I'm Melissa Polizzi. Today, we're talking about masculinity and femininity. These two terms describe a duality, different ways of being in the world. In people, we think of it as a pattern of interest, a way of approaching social situations and romance, a way of interpreting problems and how best to solve them. But though men tend to be more masculine and women tend to be more feminine, these polarities are not necessarily tethered to biological sex. In fact, they may predate sex itself as expressions of the yin and yang, chaos, order, duality of the cosmos. So when we hear these terms, masculinity and femininity, what do we think of? Mm, I think... What initially comes to mind is how do men and women gather or those who are kind of cultivating a space of masculinity and femininity? What Mm -hmm. does that look like? So women um, often come together to support and share. They cultivate this really sort of tender and nurturing space. It's very emotionally informed, sensitive. There's usually a focus on a really deep relational aspect, um, understanding each other's experience, really tapping into that feeling function, you might say. Yeah. And then we kind of have that flip side of the masculinity. What is it like when men come together? Um, They often gather and want to problem solve, uh, to engage in active sports, to kind of lift each other up through mutual competition. It's kind of like a type of bonding through challenge, physicality, even more of that uh, more logical, rational thinking function being tapped into. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can see this in masculine and feminine relationships, romantic Mm -hmm. relationships often where men are trying to problem solve a lot mm. um, and women might be looking for more of a feeling bonding sort right. of way to communicate and mm. a lot of arguments a lot of conflicts I think stem from this these two different ways of kind of looking at the world or approaching the world yeah and so there's all these stereotypes about men and women that we are familiar with mm. um, they're they're founded in truth of course but yeah. they do get exaggerated sometimes um, but we're trying to get into something deeper than just what's a man and what's a woman. We're trying to tap into something that you might say is more archetypal, right. something that is deeper than that. something that, as I said, might transcend humans, might transcend animals. It might be a way that the universe is structured, the way the yeah, universe like a, flows. a fabric of reality right. um, that's sort of expressed through these deeper principles um, that kind of seem to govern uh, the way that the universe is structured. But I feel like whenever we start to tap into that framework, we're also seeing it flow down to the very human level. And Mm -hmm. then we see it expressed through behavior and personality type and orientations towards the world. And and certainly with masculinity and femininity, there's like a typical way of approaching it, right? Where we're just like men are... Um, kind of forced into this one box and this is what it means to be a man and to express a masculine ideals and the same goes for women but um, it's it's much more gray than that right right and you know men can be feminine women Mm. can be masculine yeah that's that's something that we're familiar with the idea of this Mm. and so we're what, what do these two things mean what is this duality and i think one way that it has been expressed in the past and that is is hopefully familiar somewhat to people who might be listening is the notion of yin and yang, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. This uh, kind of reflects a notion of chaos and order. Yin meaning dark side of the mountain. Yang meaning light side of the mountain, this notion of dark and light. And it's trying to tap into this idea that there is 
a flow of the universe in which things can disintegrate or they can become chaotic and disordered mm. and that leads to potential for falling apart but also potential for creation and right. birth and restructuring mm-hmm. and reintegrating and then there's another force in the universe that seems to bring things together towards order yeah towards um structure and rules mm. and there's sort of an integrative aspect of the universe and sure. there's there's things that entities in general often seem to flow between these two to find a balance between the two because the two are almost partners mm. they, yes. they work yes. off one another one neither one is bad or good mm. it's the and that's the idea of the yin yang that's right. that's the symbol right. the uh the taijutsu is that what it said yeah taijutsu or something like yeah. that yeah the black and white fish mm-hmm. swimming together. Mm-hmm. But the, the whole idea is that they're swimming. They're dancing always. Right. You can't have one without the other, mm-hmm. um, even though we might in a, a simplistic way say, well, chaos is bad. Like we don't want that. But when we think about that, that dark principle, like the shadow of the mountain, um, that which is birthed from um, some principle that is kind of unknowable and under uh, ununderstandable you know it's just this intricate web of of potentiality that doesn't have structure to it doesn't have rules that's kind of like the chaotic element the 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 kind of birth of the universe comes from that principle and then some type of ordering thing comes uh, and kind of flows around it and kind of makes sense of it and stabilizes it. And that's kind of what we're tapping into on that deeply meta level. But at the same time, we see expressed even um, in regular relationships, you know, that we, we find these natural flows that balance each other out and seek to kind of find harmony between these more, you might say, outward expressive principles and a more inward reflective principle. Right. So some more examples of this idea is uh, the left and right brain. Mm. There's this question, you know, why why is the brain divided into two halves? Mm. Why? Why are there two <laughs> hemispheres, you know? Yeah. Why is there a left and right? Um, and there is this idea that it's not as black and white as this, but there's this, this notion that the, the left is in some sense order. It's structure. Mm. It's sort of a more intellectual side. Right. It's trying to kind of right. rationally structure reality um process the known or work within the known the Mm. map that you have whereas Mm. the right brain is um more chaotic more open to creation more generative Mm. it's birthing um information or structure in some sense and there's this dance between the two that almost is the dance of growth or Mm. the the dance of moving through reality Mm. where the way that we actually grow as people and this is reflected in you know, the notion of individu- individuation too, yeah. is there's an oscillation between order and chaos. Mm. Integration, structuring, and right. then disintegration, yes. and then reintegration, right. and this back and forth kind of flow where you kind of, you go someplace, you ascend a little bit, and then you have to kind of descend a little bit more, and then you wash off what doesn't belong, and mm. then you kind of bring it back together, and you ascend more, and then you descend some, and this, this oscillation back and forth, I think you see entities do this, this oscillation, this, this partnership between these two poles. Mm. And you can see this also in, um, left and right politics. Mm. You know, that's one more example. I mean, I I think you can see this in many more places, but there's sort of the left side of politics. It's moving towards change, Mm. towards deconstruction in Mm. order to build something better. Mm. That's the idea. And the right side is often trying to maintain order and structure, maintain the status quo, mm. prevent deconstruction. Right. And these 
two sides, you know, people have trouble thinking of these two sides as being a balance. Right. And it's easy to kind of think of one side's bad, one side's good, which is unfortunate. But they do kind of work together. They do maintain a structure. They prevent collapse. Right, right. Some change, but not too much change too quick. Right. These things seem deeply in opposition of each other, but you would you would say the same if you were looking at it so dualistically, you know, mm. like hot and cold, those oppose each other, right? right? But it's actually the the spectrum of possibility or mm. that we don't want to be fully immersed in heat and flames all of the time and we don't want to, you know, lock ourselves in a in an icy tundra. We we need both to kind of find the middle ground mm. and actually the to to be able to walk the path towards maybe growth and expansion and sustainable development. It's actually straddling both of those worlds and even just to bring it back to that point on individuation, it is that dance of of chaos, of opening yourself up to say um, the wild nature of the unconscious, um, that which is kind of birthing all of this intense energy and potential within. And that has to be met by that ordering principle of the ego, of consciousness to integrate, to make sense of it, to establish some rules. Um, but if you stick to to one side, say, of ego consciousness, you know, you never really expand kind of beyond a certain level. Right. You need that chaotic, natural principle of the unconscious to provide inspiration, to be kind of like the muse of life potential. Um, and of course, if you were on that other side, deeply embedded in the unconscious, it you'd kind of lose your grounding as an individual. Mm -hmm. um, so we really sort of see this expressed in all these different ways. Definitely. So that's where this idea of partnership comes in, right? right? The, the, the chaos and the order are partners. Mm. The, the yin and the yang are partners. Yeah. They're joined, they're intertwined. Mm. You might even say they're the same entity. Yeah. They're just yes. sort of an oscillation yeah. that the entity experiences. And, you know, this may be a, a big stretch, but, you know, men and women could be an expression of this. Mm. The duality that men and women are is an expression of this pattern of this universe mm. of, of finding balance, of being able to grow and propel oneself through the world and do that in a way that you maintain structure, mm. you maintain homeostasis, yeah. you can survive, but you also are open to change. Um, that might be what men and women reflect mm. is this strange pattern of the universe. Mm. You, you certainly think about that and there might be a reaction um, for those listening of just like, well, that's not right or that's not fair. Or, that seems kind of overly simplified or too traditional. But when we start to think about these masculine and feminine dynamics as just human principles that we all embody across this sort of spectrum of of, uh, of kind of expression of, of our psychology and our spirit, masculinity and femininity can be essence of ourselves that, um, that really kind of ignites within us sometimes a masculine force and sometimes a feminine force. And right. that's met on the other side in that partnership with someone else's masculine and feminine force. Right. So the, a man who happens to be a little bit more feminine in nature finds his partnership in someone who can meet that, uh, that balance with, with masculinity. And it sort of transcends those general, generalized sort of stereotypical ideas of what that partnership actually looks like. 
Right. So, I mean, even within the individual, there's a masculine and feminine balance. Yes. Ideally. Right. Ideally, so so yeah. these, these forces, again, if we can kind of detach from the notion of what men are and what women are mm. and that sort of tethering to the biological notion and sort of think of this more as this abstract force of, again, sort of integration, disintegration, kind yeah. of the oscillation within you, there's a partnership between mm. these forces yes. of opening oneself up to disorder and closing oneself off and maintaining order that that you're breathing that as you go through life mm. we see that in partnerships between men and women obviously that's the the default notion of this is that men and right. women make good partners mm-hmm. there, there shouldn't be any question about that yeah they've been partners for all all of time since sex first emerged mm. well that's goes back pretty far but still <laughs> As long as humans have been around, yeah. you know, the partnership between men and women is a good partnership. They yeah, work together. Right. They cover all the bases. Sure. Mm-hmm. But you also see this in same-sex partnerships. Yeah, definitely. Often. I mean, there, there is just the notion that often in same-sex partnerships, there is a masculine figure and a feminine figure. Mm. But it's more gray than that. Yeah. But either way, the covering the bases, the entity is the relationship. Right. And the entity needs to have a healthy oscillation between chaos and order. Yeah. And so often the partnership between two people or... Maybe more. Who knows? There's a balance that you're finding covering all the bases, right? Mm, mm, yes. Uh, we naturally find it in others. Um, and, and as we mentioned a moment ago, it's it's a dance that's happening internally as well. And I think um, just to tap into the ideas from the Jungian perspective of the archetypes of the anima and the animus, which um, kind of explores the sort of contrasexual image um, or experience that's in each individual. So for a man, there's like an internal feminine figure. And for a woman, there's an internal masculine. And I think when Jung was really starting to approach this idea, especially in very classic, traditional um, 19th century Europe, uh, 20th century Europe, it's um, maybe quite revolutionary to think about what the feminine presence is in in a man of that age and to start to really tap into developing that within oneself to not rely upon a partner to be more of the um, emotional go-between. Instead, he could tap into those parts of himself and find a nurturance and the feeling function um, and that sense of creation and connection. Um, And so within each person, we really kind of need to develop within ourselves um, that duality so that we have that expression easily accessible and it's not kind of banished to the shadow. Right. So if we think about this from an evolutionary perspective, I think this is really useful. But if if we go back to the environment in which humans evolved, the hunter-gatherer environment, you know, prior to about 12,000 years ago, men and women had roles in tribes. Mm. And this is, you know, a source of some contention about talking about this, but I think it's pretty irrefutable that there was a division of labor between men and women Mm. in tribes. And there was something that men evolved to do, which I would say is the kind of order function. Mm. And there was something that women evolved to do, which is sort of the creation function, which could also be rephases, chaos or disorder, creation. They kind of, they go together, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But Men in tribal situations would probably be the ones who went out to yeah. do things, the active principle. Mm-hmm. They go outward, they explore, they um, terraform the world, they bend nature to the to their will. Mm-hmm. They're kind of the source of culture, which is trying to warp nature to work for you in some sense. 
So they're going hunting, they're going gathering, they're building things, they're exploring, they're mm-hmm. pathfinding. They go out and they bring stuff back to the tribe where the women probably are. Yeah. And the women are charged with the most important task of all, which is giving birth. Yeah, life. Life. Yeah. Children. Yeah. They're incredibly valued, incredibly important for this way. They need to be protected. Yeah. So this sort of idea of the receptive or the passive or the one who stays behind and kind of holds down the fort, yeah. protects the torch, protects the fire of, mm. of human life, mm-hmm. keeps it burning while the men go out and come back and forth. You're kind of getting this image of, again, this active principle right. going out and doing things and kind of building up structure mm. and this kind of creative principle and covering all the bases, This doing this well this division of labor means you have a successful tribe that that survives. Yeah, it certainly kind of brings to mind as well the idea behind that wily, adventurous, risk-taking nature of men or of Mm. the masculine principle. And when one is sort of tasked, especially, especially from like this evolutionary perspective of going out and establishing or kind of finding the resources and bringing them back, they're ultimately putting themselves in quite grave danger. Right, and there's a lot of risk associated yeah, with that. Yeah, dispensable. Yeah. And with that kind of comes this, not not fearlessness, but you're willing uh, and ready to face whatever lay, lies in the great beyond. Right. And, and that kind of instills in an individual this um, this willingness to kind of take up the role of the hero and, mm. and leave the known space, to leave the village. Right, right. And this is reflected, of course, in the hero's journey story. Mm. This is, the hero's journey is the masculine story. Right, right, It doesn't right. mean that a woman can't take the hero's journey. Yeah. It's just that it's a masculine right. story. Yes. And that reflects this idea of the masculine individual who's the hero who mm-hmm. goes out into the wild, as men would have done yeah. in our ancestral environment, and they combat the wild danger and chaos of the forest mm-hmm. or the wilderness, yeah. uh, they bend it to their will. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, they create a new order yeah. that can be habitable, that the tribe can inhabit. Um, and that's sort of the masculine story. And it's dangerous and it requires a lot of self-sacrifice. Mm. And, and the hero's journey is usually a story of self-sacrifice. Yeah, The hero doesn't always die. But if the hero does die or become wounded, that's kind of part of the story and it's compelling mm. and we find that to be something very admirable mm. like he gave his life for the greater good right that's kind of a masculine story the idea that women would do that that they would go out and sacrifice themselves mm. it doesn't make as much sense because right. women are valuable right. and important because they have children they right. give birth right um yeah i know this can be kind of like a weird concept i know that again there's there's a lot of controversy around this idea but like men are more dispensable than women mm. The idea that 10 men could go out and get killed, it's like, well, the tribe will be okay. But mm. the idea that 10 women get killed, it's like your tribe might be done. Right, right, you know? right. And you only need one man and 30 women to create a bunch of babies. Right. You can't have 30 men and one woman and right. restart the tribe. So right. again, so this notion, we see it in movies, this notion of like women and children first, women and children mm-hmm, first, mm-hmm. Like, to get off the Titanic that's sinking. Like right. women and children in the lifeboats, men stay on board because you can be sacrificed. Right. And that again ties into this kind of pattern that we see with masculinity. Right. Self-sacrificial, going to war. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's this instinct. It's a very old instinct of the people who go to war are men. Yeah. People who go to World War One are men. Mm-hmm. People who die are men. Women yeah. stay home. 
they hold down the fort. And we can see this even now in like the way that men kind of approach their existence. Right. And even if we look to the animal kingdom, we often see this in groups of animals as well that you might have, um, as an example, a pack of wolves, you know, and they'll raise the young. And by a certain age, the young males, there's just something, something instinctive that mm. draws them away from the pack. And and it's made up mostly of uh, of the women and this, like the sisters and the lineage of, of the mothers that are still there and the alpha female. And of course, at a certain point, an alpha male might come into it and help breed, but it's it's based very much around um, the, the feminine kind of holding the tribe together and the men sort of coming in and doing what they need to do to populate. And then at a certain point, the young males, uh, they venture off and it's time for them to find their own journey to create their own pack. Right, right. And there's, there's other species of like cats, for instance, I think are a good example um, or, or big cats in the mm. wild. But uh, the, what the males do is they just go out and live by themselves. Mm. And they, they find the females and mate, but they just go out in the right. wilderness and kind of do their own thing. Whereas like the women are charged with raising the young. Right, so right. Do, the the so, pride is actually mostly like a feminine dynamic that's right. happening made of female lions. Right, right. So there's this notion of the dangerous mama bear. Mm. It's like, mm. that's what is thought of as being dangerous. It's like if you encounter cubs, yeah. mama bear is dangerous and she will kill you if she right. feels like her cubs are threatened. Yeah. It's like, well, where's Papa Bear? It's like Papa Bear's out by himself. Yeah, and, so, and sometimes she has to protect the children from um, a strange male bear that right. comes because if, if he kills uh, the cubs... Right, that's a... Infanticide <laughs> is very common in the, in the animal kingdom. Yeah. And that's a whole other story. And the fact that men, human men, can raise someone else's child nowadays is like a biological miracle but we won't we won't get into that um anyways i think i think it's interesting kind of a approach like um some myths sure with this pattern um one of the myths that we had talked about that illustrates kind of this 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 idea this dynamic well is um the odyssey mm-hmm. odysseus yeah and yeah. his wife penelope right yeah i i think penelope isn't often talked about uh, when the odyssey comes up of course, like we are entranced with the story of Odysseus and we're following all of his trials and tribulations on his hero journey. Mm-hmm. But the the feminine journey in, in the Odyssey is just as important. And here we see her task with this really almost impossible challenge of holding the space of the home um, and of the, the sort of like royal seat kind of, uh, I don't know, I, th- I think within her she knows that Odysseus will come back. So there's this kind of deep unconscious knowing that uh, the partnership needs to be held. And mm. she spends the entire story really sort of fighting off all of these suitors, of protecting her son, mm. of making sure that Ithaca stays safe. And she's not out there warring. She's not out there fighting. She isn't facing those um, really obvious sort of external challenges. She's reliant very very much on her own um, sort of internal principles. She has to maintain this very delicate um, kind of relational dynamic between all these men that are coming. Mm. Um, her her challenge here is almost as difficult. It's it's just in a different way. Right, right. And a lot of what she's doing is she's um, help, helping to maintain social cohesion. Yeah, She's yes. disarming a lot of like... Mm violent masculine energy right, yes she's keeping everyone happy making sure everyone has what they need and this is incredibly difficult mm. to juggle this 
this kind of social chaos and right. find a way to smooth things over. And that's something that women are very good at. Yeah, just naturally. People who are, are, are feminine are very good with social dynamics, yeah. diving into those waters and finding a way to smooth things over mm. and make sure people get along. Yeah. That can also turn into a shadow form of that where you could wield social dynamics as a mm, weapon. Certainly. That, you know, women can do. Um, but that's in contrast again to Odysseus, who's, do, who's doing the more masculine journey. Yes. Who is out going to war, going to conquer some sort of chaos in this situation. And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting story because he's, he's most of what his journey is, is trying to get home. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's basically separated from where he needs to be, mm-hmm. which is in some sense the tribe yeah. where his wife is, where yeah. she's holding down the fort and mm-hmm. he's trying to get back. And that's sort of a, a masculine story of being out in the wilderness in the danger mm. and having to deal with all these existential, more obvious threats, yeah. more of actual violence and monsters and stuff like that. Um, another interesting uh, dynamic that's well known is is Frodo. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because Frodo and the Fellowship in Lord of the Rings, Frodo is a very feminine character. Right. Even though he's kind of going on a masculine journey sort of to mm-hmm. take the rain to the mountain. Yeah. It's like Frodo is protecting something valuable. Yeah. And that's yeah. very feminine. Yeah. Um, I think even within Frodo, we, we start to see that kind of unique expression of the feminine and masculine journey um, applied to these more mythological or fictional dynamics um, because outwardly, uh, you know, Frodo is a hobbit. He's not a fighter. He's not on the front lines mm-hmm. of facing these uh, kind of more violent challenges. He's got Aragorn, you know, he's got Legolas. He's got these more right. these more obvious masculine heroes to mm-hmm. to to play that role to sacrifice themselves. Yeah. But he is on the hero's journey, right. and then he's uh, walking it in a, ve- in a in a in a deeply feminine principled way, which is. In, in some ways, I feel like Frodo is the heart of the fellowship and keeps the relational dynamics kind of smoothed between them because they're all rallying around Frodo. He's connecting the dwarves and the elves who hate each other. Mm-hmm. You know, he's bringing man. All these different elements are coming together and harmonizing for this right. greater goal of of really saving uh, the world. Right, right. If, if Frodo is not protected always lost mm, yeah. and that again reflects a sort of evolutionary idea mm. is this thing must be protected and the men will throw themselves into the danger to protect this thing yeah yeah and you see that throughout the story um bran and mira from game of thrones yes. maybe a little yeah. less well known but probably a lot of people who are listening have, have are aware of this but bran is the three-eyed raven he is holds some power within him Mm -hmm. that is incredibly important to the world surviving and it needs to be protected. He must be transported someplace with these masculine figures around him protecting him like Mira, who is female, Mm -hmm. but she plays this masculine role of doing the dangerous things, having the weapons, putting herself in danger, carrying Bran literally. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Bran's story is really interesting because this young boy, Brandon Stark, uh, has all this promise. Um, he's really, he wants to be a knight. He wants to walk the masculine hero's journey. And then there's this accident and he becomes paralyzed. And when that happens, something awakens within him. It's this power, this force, this potential. He basically becomes the heir to this old magic. And it's, it's all 
contingent on him surviving and getting past the wall to this um, this teacher um, for the the lifeblood of of this magic to continue. So he kind of moves away from that classic masculine story and starts to embed embed the um, the feminine ideal and um, that journey into his life. And you start to see that kind of um, kind of turned on its head where his companions then um the woman as you mentioned mira mira um she she takes on the masculine ideal she must protect him all must sacrifice themselves to make sure that bran carrying that life force moves through to where he needs to go right so there's this classic notion that we we have generally speaking of of what it means to be masculine in a virtuous way mm. and the, there are these notions that we've been talking about of, of bravery of self-sacrifice yeah um men are engineers men build things they're good problem solvers the the, the people who go out and build the world mm. the source of a lot of this notion of culture if culture is kind of structure and rules men are going out and building the world and they're protecting the world. And that's kind of this notion of like the virtuous, like wise king. Mm, it's right. like that's this this side of masculinity that's like the light side mm. of someone who is self-sacrificial, brave, strong, protective, provides right. and maintains structure that is habitable, that maintains the walls around the city to protect right. the city, the one right. who builds the house over your head to protect you. Um, but... This can also fall into the shadow realm. Yeah. And what does that look like? The the shadow masculine. Yeah. Well, taking the idea of that benevolent king, um, the shadow kind of takes them into the more tyrannical nature mm. of the king archetype. And so there might be abusive power or dominance or aggression where where those boundaries and structure and power um, can be used to kind of lift up and bring order. It, it can in turn kind of become darker and become oppressive in nature. Right. Um, and kind of in a more grounded way, we see men often fighting to be at the top of a hierarchy that might not even be clear that they're engaged in. And so there is that aggression, mm. um, the desire maybe to be deeply competitive in a way that's um, kind of violent in nature or kind of rips individuals down versus kind of building them up through competition. Um, so we start to see that kind of happening with the masculine principle. Right, right. Shadow masculinity, it's also reflected in a lot of men who don't know how to integrate their masculinity proper, properly, right? Yeah. So it gets banished to the shadow realm, and that's where you get these sort of strange, violent outbursts yeah, from yeah. men. Um, you get men who are playing a lot of video games because video games like simulate what the mm. archetypal men, mm. man does, which is like the yeah. hunter and gatherer. Right, right. A lot of video games are almost literally simulating hunting gathering <laughs> where you go out into the wild and you fight monsters and you yeah. gather treasure. Right. That's what men were sort of born to do. And that's why a lot of these video games are so popular and men can get kind of sucked into that. Um, and again, yeah, the tyrant, the, the notion of too much rules, too much structure. Right. That structure is good. Like building the walls around the city is good. Right. Building the house to have a shelter overhead is good. Right. But, you know, what if the, the walls of the city become like, well, you can't leave. Right. You right. have to a stay prison. within the city. Now it's a prison yeah. or the house becomes this place where the man has complete control and dominance over everyone right. in it and, right. and forces people to do what he wants at all right. times. And this is sort of this notion of the bad father. Right. Yeah. It's of, like unyielding control. Right. Mm. Right. Abusive control. Right. Or even this notion of like, you're going to be a doctor, God damn it. Like, that's what you're going to do. It's like right. the father being overly 
um, imposing mm, that structure, yeah. that order, trying yeah. to really squeeze people. Yeah. Um, so what about the, the virtuous feminine? The virtuous feminine. Um, I think a lot about that classic kind of great mother archetype, which mm. is that deeply receptive um, principle that nurtures and creates a space of harmony and connection. Um, there's kind of this deeply intuitive nature that comes from the feminine principle that allows you to really sense um, kind of where someone else is at. And so you tap into empathy and compassion and it allows people to feel seen and heard and cared for and understood. And that kind of radiates this this deep interconnecting flow that mm. the feminine principle really does. And when, especially when I think women come together in this way that they're trying to share and deeply open up, it's like this, this connective energy kind of happens and they're flowing from one to the other. And there's this sense of, of, of real aliveness that comes when the feminine principle is really virtuous in that way, because it allows people to feel that they can open up, that they can be vulnerable, that they can, that they can trust, um, and kind of ease into the space and be held. Right. A different kind of safety almost yeah. than, than yeah, the yeah, masculine yeah. safety. Yeah. The man, the man builds the house, but would say that the feminine has this more of a social kind of um, empathic, loving, yeah. un unconditional love. Yeah, she like, tends the fire. You know, it's right. the hearth. It's like the Hestia principle, you know, the goddess of right. the hearth. And, and it feels warm and right. inviting and that you can recuperate and regenerate. And there's life, you know, fire mm -hmm. gives life and all of right. this energy. Yeah, and that stereotype that, that I was saying, like, you know, the father's saying like, oh, you're going to be a doctor someday, goddamn. Yeah. And then like, we, we see this, this stereotype of like the child feeling hurt by the father, right. be, pushing them so much right. and the child runs, runs to, to the, the mother, mother. Yeah. and the virtuous mother says, it's okay. Yeah, like it's okay. your father like loves you, mm -hmm. but he's kind of, you know, loses his temper sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. the mother's always there to like catch, um, the child who is falling. Mm -hmm. yeah. And sometimes he is falling from the father who has pushed him too hard. Right. And we see this again, the partnership there mm -hmm. between the mother and the father, the good cop, bad cop mm -hmm. kind of thing can yeah. be can be a, a typical thing. Yeah. And it's not always men and women. Those roles can definitely be yes. reversed. Yeah, definitely. Um, what about the, sh the shadow feminine? Yeah, the shadow feminine. Um, sticking with that idea of the mother, she goes from the great mother to like the smothering mother mm -hmm. or the devouring mother. And here that, that unconditional desire to love and nurture becomes codependent and limited it's different than like the masculine's way of like forcing you into position and sticking you there it's almost like um you know the overfeeding of of too much uh, good energy that can come for it come from that feminine principle that um kind of stifles an energy from moving out into the scary you know unknown world um so it can kind of smother in that way or it can devour and kind of try to pull all of the energy out of a situation because Mm -hmm. there's a type of maybe like a subtle manipulation that's happening um, where the feminine is really kind of losing focus of that interconnected um, relational principle. And it might be kind of being driven by some sort of like narcissism that forces um, the feminine kind of power to really overtake a situation in a way that might not be as overt. Right. So the woman wields, again, this, this, this power of social dynamics. Mm. There's kind of uh, the unconscious realm, the feeling realm being yeah. kind of more in the in the shadow. Mm. Not Sorry, not the shadow in the sense of the, the banished energy, but in the kind of the moon energy, mm. the unconscious energy. Right. But that, that can definitely be wielded, wielding social dynamics in a, in a violent way. Mm. 
mm. um, is something that women are quite good at. And that's why yes. there's a lot of gossiping. Mm. Often mm-hmm. there's sort of uh, ruining someone's reputation. Yeah. There's there's all these whispers going on behind people's backs. And like what you're doing is you're wielding social dynamics the same way that you could in a virtuous way smooth things out and make right. people come together and make them feel safe you can also make people feel very unsafe by right. manipulating them in this way right like that idea the archetype of like the main girl or the click group right. is is so painful and difficult especially mm. i think for young girls to like experience that because it's not something that is as obvious as boys who are mad at each other or want to take out aggression and so they fight and it's like well that's terrible we don't want physical violence but women can be very underhanded or the feminine principle can Mm -hmm. come in in this way that's very subtle due to that kind of more passive nature and yet still kind of cutting to a very painful, deep core aspect uh, because in some ways the feminine with that intuitive, empathic nature kind of knows really where to stick the knife. Um, And it's a power that can really be used um, to, to really hurt another. So how can we approach our shadow work and self-reflection with these ideas and themes of masculinity and femininity in mind? So with shadow work, often what we're trying to do is sort of bring something to the surface, mm-hmm. right? The whole notion of the shadow is is what we're not seeing or what we're yeah. not paying attention to. You're not conscious of. What we're hiding from ourselves, mm-hmm. what we're banishing, denying, right? away, denying. Yeah. yeah. And so the question is, how can you kind of become more aware of these concepts in yourself, mm-hmm. um, these dynamics that are at play in your relationships, in the conflicts that you get into, yeah. in the way that you are at work, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, so just thinking about what it means to be masculine for me, for instance, mm-hmm. I'm a pretty masculine person, not totally masculine. I'm definitely not the most manly person that people would think of. Like, in our social scene, whatever, but I am someone who's very engineering. I am very instinctual about problem solving. Yeah. There's a lot of structure that I yeah. like. I Logical like things. and rational. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely very structured. I have a very systematic approach to things. Mm-hmm. And that's a very masculine way to be. Yeah. I'm a builder. Mm. I'm a leader. Mm. Um, I think a lot of my instincts are kind of fatherly mm. a lot of the time. Um, but this gets me into conflict with people. Yeah. And I have to reconcile these different sides of me of like how am I being too masculine right, right. in my relationships because I often am mm. and part of the way is like I want there to be too much structure mm. if, if there's going to be like a social event yeah I want to know what we're doing <laughs> right. and I want to know why we're doing it yeah and the feeling that there's no plan right bothers me what's the goal like what's the goal here <laughs> and you know that can sound kind of st- stupid like it sounds like I'm it, like like I'm crazy and neurotic or something like that but like you know I don't really think that's true it's just sort of like right uh, I feel like time is valuable. I feel like my time is valuable. And, and often there are situations I feel like are a waste of time. Mm. And that's if, if I didn't have to work or if I had, if I was independently wealthy, maybe I wouldn't care so much, whatever. Yeah. There's a feeling of like, what are we doing here? And what's the point? And what's the rules here? Who's in charge here that I kind of do instinctually. Right. And I have to realize that a, because part of that is, is what I'm doing is that makes people uncomfortable. Mm. Sometimes it hurts people's feelings. Right. Sometimes it makes people feel pushed. Mm. And a lot of people don't like being pushed. Yeah. Um, so there has to be a recognition of like, well, how can I 
um, encourage my more feminine side, yeah, which yeah. is to be more sensitive to people's feelings, more allowing, more allowing, <laughs> more feeling, yeah, more going with the flow. There's mm-hmm. kind of a notion of extroversion, I guess, that kind of plays into that a little bit of sort yeah. of just like wedding what what happens happen right what not, works for the group right what works for the group don't be so concerned about getting anything done right the group is here it's just let's just be mm-hmm. together and that's kind of like a, a more feminine thing to do is like let's just be right um yeah one thing i really kind of want to underline here is the the tendency for individuals to over identify with these kind of archetypal uh energies and when that happens it becomes restrictive or it becomes limiting or it lacks its flexibility um and so in this case you know i don't think you're like fully over identifying with masculine principle but at times people uh really are and they're caught up in that in a way that they're just not very conscious of and that Mm. and that does cause tension it you know if you're over identifying with a feminine principle as an example it's like you might be overly emotional you might lack the objectivity that allows you to not get so swept up into a situation or your own emotional entanglement um one has to really be aware of those um those natural propensities towards how we want to orient and relate to the world and if we might be over identifying with it in a way that's actually causing more tension than not and kind of turning towards the opposing principle and saying how might i bring that in how might that bring balance if i was to integrate more of that right let's say you are someone who is really passive Mm. someone who is um not really trying to control as much or trying to put any structure out there as sure. much. It's it's important for you to perhaps to say, well, maybe I should be more structured or maybe right. I should exhibit more control. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I do need more of a schedule for my life. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should be more goal-oriented. Mm. Maybe I should uh, care a little more about what... I need to get done and less about what the group needs perhaps. Yeah, or like or, what's kind of being produced in this like measurable way yeah. so that you can actually like orient towards maybe like that future planning or that external thing that takes you out of the passive nature and into yeah. one of the the projective, like you're, you're creating and you're expanding and you're moving out into that more uh, wild, unknown, scary world. And that requires that you leave behind the safety and nurturance of, of the, those castle walls that you're in right now. Um, and it's going to kind of lead you more towards that path of individuation of self-realization. Right. This is also a play in romantic relationships very much mm. often. Like yeah. the, the, the masculine feminine dynamic. I mean, usually it's a man and women, sorry, a man and a woman who are exhibiting these patterns and mm-hmm. there's a lot of conflict that comes from that there's sure. a lot of like feeling like why can't men and women get along or yeah. why can't they understand each other or why can't they communicate about things mm-hmm. um and just bringing to awareness how is it that women tend to think right how right. is it that men tend to think yeah what is it that my partner wants mm-hmm. in this moment that i'm not seeing yeah how is it possible that we want different things mm-hmm. um and if uh your partner is more nurturing it's more empathetic, uh, has more of a feeling of um, wanting to sort of bond, smooth things over with other people, mm-hmm. and you're, you're too fixated on, like, getting things done or solving a problem. If, uh, if your partner comes to you and is complaining about work and saying that she got into this, like, conflict with someone at work... And your response is just like, well, why don't you just like go to the manager and like solve the problem, like make right. a formal complaint, right? Just like, why don't you just handle it, babe? Like, yeah. why are you 
why are you dealing with all this bullshit? Just handle it. Yeah, she's going to get hella mad. And she gets hella mad because it's like, <laughs> I feel like you're not listening to my feelings. Right. I feel like you're just sort of invalidating what right, I'm saying. Right. It's saying that I should like handle the problem. Right. I'm actually not looking for you to solve my problem right now. Right. I'm looking for you to be here with me, to be mm, present with me, right. to share in my... Yeah my frustration and pain right right. sympathize with me connect with me understand what my experience is like understand how this wounds me like i know i need to fix it i know i need to like do x y and z but that's not the point in those moments often from that feminine principle it's just about needing to express this is deeply like emotional vortex that's happening inside of oneself Mm -hmm. and 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 needing someone else to kind of anchor to with it and so when you get like the response of that more masculine kind of like well here are all the ways you can fix it what have you done this it's just like not helpful (laughs) right right another example i mean there's there's infinite examples of this and the point is to kind of just try and think about these things but Mm -hmm. you know uh, men Masculine individuals, they often, they're, they're very functional in the mm-hmm. way they think about things. They're not very aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Like often their living spaces, male living spaces, for instance, are often very functional. Right. It's like they're only set up to accomplish certain tasks. Mm-hmm. And like who cares what it looks like? Who right. cares if it's messy? Who cares what the colors are? Right. Um, and if this is you, you know, maybe you might get into more of the idea of aesthetics. Mm-hmm. What are aesthetics? Yeah. What, what does it mean when things look nice or feel nice? Or, right. What is it that you wear? Maybe you're someone, um, often male, who just never makes any attempt to dress nice right, at no, all. No effort. <laughs> you just wear the same shoes you've been wearing for several years, and you always wear the je- same jeans every day, and mm-hmm. you wear like a you know a t-shirt and whatever, and maybe you have like your uh, your uh, Swiss Army knife or your Leatherman knife on you all the time because it's really functional, and you don't care that it looks nerdy and stupid. Like that's that's <laughs> the way you think. You know, you might try you know making your wardrobe more vibrant you might Mm. try dressing a little more nice and louder colors maybe and yeah like a little flamboyant yeah become a little more flamboyant yeah and experiment with that experiment with how that feels right just just personally the idea of of aesthetics is still not huge in my life but Mm. it's something that i just didn't even think about at all in the past in fact i even thought it was kind of stupid Mm. like i would make fun of people who like fussed too much about how the way the way that things look Mm. yeah but that's like a masculine misunderstanding of what aesthetics even are it's like almost denying its existence right and it's like you'll actually find that having a candle lit is there's something nice about that right there's like an ambiance there's an ambiance yeah and you might find that like wearing a certain kind of shirt actually makes you feel more like yourself yeah, yeah instead of just like any old shirt will do right and you kind of can be like oh i'm starting to get it and that is sort <laughs> of like a more feminine way of thinking yeah i think about clothes and especially like the kind that i wear um as this really deeply personal um kind of emotional expression like i i feel at least personally very uh, tied and connected to a lot of pieces of clothes. Um, you know, I'm not someone who like loves clothes so much, but mm. I, I enjoy donating something that makes me feel like myself and mm. that, you know, if I was walking by and, and a friend kind of saw me, they'd be like, yeah, that was Alyssa. Like she's wearing that jacket right. and it's a little, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about my wolf jacket. <laughs> right. Your, your huge <laughs> white wolf jacket. It's, psychedelic wolf amazing jacket. um but anyways you don't have to wear a wolf jacket to do <laughs> um you don't have to you don't have to you should because it's really cool but yeah. um 
it's just, it's this very like connected thing and you're connecting to kind of like things and something you kind of wear upon yourself in this very ritualistic way. And it's, it's connecting you to something a little bit more subtle, um, maybe something kind of that awakens a part of your, your psyche and your spirit in a way that you didn't realize. And now it's time for a dream from one of our audience members. This is from a 34-year-old male. We would like more male dreams. So if you are a man, please send in your dream. And here's the dream. It started in Brooklyn, New York, at my grandmother's old apartment from when I was a kid. My older brother was there too. I look out the window and see a T-Rex destroying things. It's approaching, and we make eye contact. My brother and I jump out of a window and a white curtain from a fifth floor, from the fifth floor. The dinosaur stuck its head inside the other window and almost licked my ear. We land in the Bronx, New York, where my children live. I went around the front of the building to save the kids. A fire engine parked right outside. I got on a ladder and pulled the kids through the window. My daughter tried putting on sneakers and was dancing and playing. I come down from the ladder and notice a multitude of greyhound coach buses outside. I go inside and the dinosaur starts chasing us, then rips the back of the bus apart. He is chasing us like in Jurassic Park, knocking over boulders on top of the bus. I was able to push the boulders off, and then we lose the dinosaur. I see my brother driving behind us in a taxi that is colored neon pink. We go back to my grandma's house to learn that my close uncle died. I cried and woke up. Mm. So I like having this dream, um, especially for this episode, because we're getting this very classically masculine expression. It's like quite a hero's journey Mm -hmm. that this dream is. It's very much a man's dream. Yeah. That was my first instinct. (laughs) It's like this is a little (laughs) different than the dreams we've done so far. It seems like uh, he's he's battling a T-Rex and driving right, cars around right. and traveling very quickly and rescuing people. Right. And if you've been listening to the podcast, we have had a lot of women write in, which we really appreciate. Um, but when we have that sort of equal representation, we can see how the psyche of uh, that is more masculine in nature expresses itself even in the unconscious. Because mm-hmm. here we have a fighting the uh, battling of this big figure. There's a there's a lot of heroism and courage that's happening. Um, fire so, trucks. Yeah, fire trucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to start just with uh, some of the symbolism around um, being at the grandma's house. And this is like an old apartment from when he was a kid. And at times when individuals dream of old environments, you can think about it or at least contemplate what reason your psyche might be returning to this place in time. Mm. What's going on that might be stirred within you or something that you're confronting in your life that has its roots or its ties to this place. Um, and so the dream opens and and it begins in this apartment from when he was a kid. And then there's lots of fa- family-oriented aspects going on, the brother, the uncle, his children. Um, so those themes might be very prevalent right now for the dreamer. Um, and it's all very much characterized by this quite intense um, chase scene, very uh, blockbuster-like, as you said. It's very Jurassic Park, but it's also very primitive in nature. The chase dream is something that brings one back to that instinctive nature of needing to run away from that which might uh, 
kind of devour you. Right. So there is the, the T-Rex is sort of this dragon mm-hmm. figure that is present in a lot of dreams. Mm-hmm. Dragon of chaos, something yeah. that is devouring things, something that is coming for you. Yeah. Um, something that is too powerful for you to defeat. Mm-hmm. And so there's just this running away. And as you said, there's a lot of family in the stream. Yeah. There's a lot of time in the stream. It's going from an apartment when he was a kid yeah. to going to his kid's apartment. Right. So right. there's this traveling through time almost right. like cyclically almost. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of movement, a lot yeah. of different um, living spaces, mm-hmm. uh, being in a car, driving around. Yeah being chased in this way. So there's a lot of chaos in the mm. stream, a lot of movement, um, maybe a feeling of a lack of control, mm. maybe a feeling that things are moving too quickly. Um, maybe something's happening with the family that um, is disrupting the sense of security. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't have a lot of context to go off of with this stream, so mm. I can only... Um, sort of throw out, you know, ideas of what these symbols sort of speak on these broader strokes. But uh, at times when we have these really powerful, dynamic chase dreams, we are dealing with unconscious material that has um, a very shadowy nature. And there's something really deep within you that is trying to emerge, that's trying to be known, and it's incredibly threatening. And when you have some unconscious material um, in the shadow that has that sense of threat, scariness, something that you don't want to see, it often materializes in the dreamscape as some sort of big figure that's chasing you or a group of people or there's something out to get you. And so I would encourage the dreamer to really think about what's going on uh, both in your obvious awareness, but also kind of deep within, have things been stirring? Uh, does something kind of especially connected to the past need to be addressed, kind of lifted into the light of consciousness and integrated? Right. He mentions that uh, his uncle died mm. at the end of the dream. It's, yes. it's, he learns his uncle has died. And yeah. I guess it's not clear whether that's actually happened in real life. Yeah, or we don't if, know. Or if the uncle's sick. But the grandmother also perhaps is no longer alive. Mm. So there's there is feelings of death or people disappearing. Yeah. Or um, concern that someone familial is in trouble mm. going to the kid's house to protect the kids and then succeeding in that, but arriving back at the grandmother's house just to learn that the uncle died. Yeah, you know, I think I've mentioned this in other episodes, but there's this tension in dream interpretation between the subjective and the objective. Do you interpret all of these figures in your dreams as parts of yourself? Is Mm. it a commentary on things that are happening in the external world, which is more of the objective dynamic? And there's something, call it just like an intuition, but there's something about just the way this dream has been communicated that speaks to me of like a lot of objective dynamics. And so I'm just really curious of what's going on going on in this dreamer's life between these intricate family ties and what is rooted in the past that might have to do with these um, this period of development, if there was anything that was kind of destabilizing um, that might now be kind of coming back around because um, it's needing to be known. Of course, some of these figures might represent aspects of the dreamer. For example, like the, he might actually have kids, but it might also be the inner child. You might sometimes see that when someone needs to do that deep inner child work that you'll see imaged in the dreams uh, children and that's like your inner child that needs saving and so that's something uh, to consider as well 
Right. There's absolutely no evidence for this at all, but I, I do kind of wonder if there's any sort of pattern that you might see between masculine and feminine as far as having that sort of objective aspect of the dream mm. versus subjective. Mm. It's like the people in your dream might be just you, mm. versions of you. The unconscious is really speaking through you very, very powerfully that way, mm. as opposed to kind of being more... Uh, rationally oriented and even in your dreams trying to problem solve hmm. and problem solving yeah. in this way where the the sort of external real world is actually in your dream yeah and the unconscious is not speaking as loudly as being mm. buried in the dream like so again that's i'm just throwing that out there there's absolutely no evidence to say that's true <laughs> but i think i think it's kind of an interesting idea the idea if you are a masculine thinker that you might your dreams might still be more oriented towards problem solving right, and right. thinking about things that need to be done in your life. I mean, to be honest, like, you know, with my, um, my approach and my orientation towards dream work, it's that, you know, in this deeply sort of unknowable and mysterious way, like that, that's like the function of the unconscious. It's kind of compensating for the conscious attitude. And in mm. that way, it's kind of problem solving and it's kind of um, imaging all of these different things that need to be considered. Um, maybe like a certain tool of your own personality, as an example, that needs to be utilized, um, a relational dynamic that needs to be considered from a different perspective. So there's just this inherently very kind of, um, kind of problem solving, I guess, um, is an interesting way to put it. But um, I do feel like just like the unconscious sort of uh, dynamic is is presenting that for us to work with. And that kind of in it of itself is a sort of uh, masculine principle. Do you have a question for us? Do you have a dream you'd like us to analyze? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover? We want to hear from you. Contact us through a submission form, which can be found on our Instagram page at Golden Shadow Podcast. Or if you're listening on YouTube, you can find the link in the description down below. Thanks for listening. See you later. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow podcast. Thank you. <laughs>